Welcome to the Krieg DeVault podcast series. As a business leader, navigating the legal landscape can be daunting. That's why we're here to provide you with the insights you need. Join us as we break down the latest news, laws, and trends shaping your industry. Welcome back to the Krieg DeVault podcast. Today, I have a special guest and... I'm pleased to introduce Senator Rod Bray, President Pro Temp of the Indiana Senate. Senator, thank you for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I also wanted to introduce one of the partners in our legislative affairs group, Randy Head. Randy, you are also a senator, but no longer serving the Indiana Senate, but thank you for being with us. Oh, absolutely. It's always great being able to, to talk with Senator Bray. Yeah. Um, Senator, I'm going to dive right in and ask you a little bit about your history. I know a lot of, you're a very popular guy around the state. You're, you're president pro tem of the Senate. That is a big job, but you don't just start there, do you? Not at all. Would you tell us a little bit about your history and how you came to be in the Senate and how you came to get the big job? Well, so I hadn't run for office before I ran for the Indiana Senate, but I'd been very involved in lots of other uh, various campaigns as county Republican chairman of Morgan County back in the late 90s, early 2000s, and stayed involved in politics a lot. And uh, uh, my family had been involved in politics before I, so it wasn't a, I wasn't a stranger to it at all. The seat opened up in 2012, and I decided I would run. I was about 43 years old at the time, I believe. And uh, so I decided to run. Thought I would find it interesting, and uh, turns out I find it fascinating and enjoy it very much. I've heard others uh, elected officials at all levels, right? Uh, local, state, and federal levels tell me that there there is a fascination to government and how our legislatures and how our our bodies work. Randy, talk a little bit about your history in the Senate. Uh, you two had fairly similar path. I mean, you didn't just dive right in and go straight for the Senate. I've got that same fascination uh, that, that Rod has and has always had. Uh, I was also a county chairman uh, before I ran for state senate, and that's a great way to get involved and to get started and to understand what the local situation is. Uh, and I was, I was just lucky. The incumbent was retiring, and they were looking for someone uh, to, to fill that seat. Uh, and my wife and I decided, well, you know, we might as well try. You might not win, but at least you'll know that you weren't going to win as opposed to, to walking away from the opportunity. Uh, and, and never having the chance. And it was one of the best uh, decisions that, that, that we ever made. It was a wonderful privilege to, to be able to serve. Uh, and it's not always fun, uh, not by any stretch, but I enjoyed it immensely. Senator Bray, I want to, you know, touch off of that because I, in today's political climate with, I'll call it the noise, there's lots of noise, right? Um, of course. We do forget as constituents and as pundits, everybody's a pundit, you know, everybody's got publishing rights now via Facebook. <laughs> and, uh, but, but we do forget that there is a cost that each individual gives. Randy said something interesting. He said his wife and he decided to run. This takes away from your family. We talked a little bit about your a law school grad, you're a practicing attorney. This takes away from your everyday life. This is a sacrifice for you to do, isn't it? Without a doubt. I mean, the first sacrifice is to the family. If you don't have your wife and your family on board, then you you just best not do it. And uh, because it takes you away from them. I am a little more fortunate than some. I live 30 miles away from the state house. And so um, I go home every night. Uh, most folks who serve don't have that luxury. They come on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, stay through Thursday. And so through the week, they're gone. And uh, uh, so that creates a bigger challenge for the family. But also, the work that you've left. We're a part-time legislature. It certainly doesn't pay enough for you to 
um, uh, address all your habits like food and shelter. And so you have to continue to find ways to work. And it has, uh, without a doubt, had an impact on my law practice while I was uh, in the Senate. But before I was pro tem, I still kept a pretty robust practice. But sometimes it meant I was up at 4 a.m. on a Friday morning after we're not in session trying to make up for a time that I wasn't there. Now, as, as president pro tem, it is largely a full-time job. And uh, I, I still dabble in the law, but I don't practice very much anymore. Can we talk a little bit to our listeners about what the role of President Pro Tem is? What what are the responsibilities that come with that job, other than beyond what a normal senator would have, right? Sure. Uh, obviously, the, the, full, the formal president of the uh, Senate is the lieutenant governor, according to our Constitution. And uh, our lieutenant governor now, Suzanne Crouch, comes and she presides over session. But uh, the lieutenant governor in Indiana has lots of substantive jobs, and so she does not otherwise work in the Senate. So all the other responsibilities fall on the president pro tem, and that is kind of keeping control and of staff and hiring of staff, as well as uh, when bills are filed or kind of setting dates and all those things. And when bills get filed, I review the bills and I assign the committees assign them to committees. I also uh, assign the committee chairs and about all the back office work is done uh, with decisions by the president pro tem. Well, speaking of the back office work, that's going to take me into my first substantive question. I know that this upcoming session is a short session, but uh, you have three new Senate members this year, don't you, for this new upcoming session? We do. And in fact, uh, just uh, uh, earlier this morning, swore in two of them. It's a bit of a unique situation. It's not an election year, of course. And to have three new members is, is uh, certainly unique. Uh, Senator Chip Perfect, uh, down from the Lawrenceburg area, retired because of some business um, uh, opportunities and responsibilities, took him away from the Indiana Senate. And uh, a caucus put in a fellow by the name of Randy Maxwell, who has already been sworn in. In addition, uh, Senator John Ford retired, uh, similar reasons, business opportunities. And uh, it, it gets back to the idea of, uh, you know, being in the Senate is a sacrifice and Senator Ford has a family to support. And so he needs to address that. And I certainly understand that. He is being replaced, according to the caucus that recently elected him, by Greg Good, who will do a fantastic job. And then uh, the least, uh, the, the saddest story here is Senator Jack Sandlin, who passed away uh, one day, completely unexpectedly. And uh, he is being replaced now by uh, uh, Cindy Carrasco, also a lawyer. And uh, I will say why we didn't want any of these three situations. Certainly, Senator Sandlin's is tragic. But the three that we've got coming in have a varied uh, uh, level of experience and number of different subjects that, we'll, that the state addresses. Uh, I'm excited to see them get started. And in fact, there's a couple people in the House that are starting as well. So we've asked the Legislative Services Agency to do kind of a full-blown orientation for these folks so they can start the session and be ready to go instead of just kind of trying to find the bathroom and, uh, and hopefully be a little bit more effective. Yeah, yeah, that's always helpful, isn't it? Especially with uh, caucused in members yes. and, and having to hit the ground running. Right. From what I understand, that, that the three vacancies also led to a committee chairman needs to be named as well. Uh, that's correct. And um, uh, actually two committee chairmen. Uh, Senator Perfect was chair of the Commerce and Technology Committee. And so we are uh, in the process of making that replacement. Senator Ford was chair of the Elections Committee. So two, you know, two challenging things to replace. And uh, we are in the process of kind of fizzing, fitting those puzzle pieces back together. Uh, there's not just those changes. When you move somebody from one committee to another 
and uh, is to insert a chairman, you leave a hole somewhere else. And there is a ripple effect throughout our committee system that happens. And uh, we're just about ready to announce that. We'll probably announce all those changes before Organization Day coming up later uh, in November. Okay, well, I was hopeful you would boost our ratings by announcing it here, but no <laughs> such luck. Oh, well. Good thing that uh, we all have day jobs. So now um, moving into the session, what is there anything that uh, I know there's some hot button items, some things you want to accomplish? We said it's a short session this time. Uh, what are your high points? What are you really looking forward to hope to address? A couple things. One is to keep in perspective where we are. We had a really substantive session last the beginning January through April of uh, 2023, we dealt with healthcare, healthcare costs, and uh, uh, some, uh, some aspects of uh, bonding in the criminal law and lots of different things and felt pretty good about it. Plus, we passed a $44 billion budget, of course. A short session coming up in 2024 is not a budget session. We'll start January the 8th. We'll finish in early to mid-March. My hope is early March rather than mid-March. And, uh, and we'll, we'll tackle a handful of things that I'll get into in just a moment. But I think the one thing we need to keep in mind is 24 is going to be a really big election year. Uh, on the state level, we've got, I think, six candidates running for the uh, open seat as, as gubernatorial nomination in May and, uh, uh, and also a national election, as we all know. So that kind of creates an interesting, challenging dynamic uh, that, that can create challenges for us in messaging the, the legislation that we're trying to pass. So you'll see us probably uh, work on a lot of blocking and tackling. You know, a lot of a lot of a lot of state government is not sexy. It's it's just blocking and tackling anyway, and uh, a lot of it doesn't make a lot of headlines. So you'll see us work on those things. We're taking a look at a, uh, a couple of different things. Uh, daycare is a serious challenge across the state right now. Workforce is a serious challenge, and part of the reason that people are out of the workforce is daycare costs as much as they would earn if they went back to work. And so, well, you don't. I don't think any of us want to see, at least I don't want to see uh, the state of Indiana get into the daycare business. We do need to try to find a way to come alongside it and see if we can be helpful to give uh, that would to get more people into the workforce. That's a that's a that's a for instance that I would look at. Housing costs are a real challenge that people are facing right now. Um, uh, education is a space we want to work in as well. I've heard some some of my members talk about the need to make sure that a third grader is, before they get passed on to the fourth grade, is, uh, is uh, reading well and, uh, and uh, proficient in reading because as you move from the third grade to the fourth grade, you begin not to learn to read, but to read to learn. And so there seem, I think you're going to see some uh, conversation or maybe some bills about that as well. You mentioned something that I wanted to start with, um, and that was daycare costs. The state of Indiana over the past few years, just in my opinion, but I think most observers would agree, has done an amazing job attracting business and business development and business growth. I'm a corporate lawyer by trade, so I see uh, a lot of, uh, I represent a lot of entrepreneurs, businesses that have willfully come to the state of Indiana, especially being up in uh, near, near borders, state borders, and have decided that the state is very attractive. But you mentioned daycare costs and child co uh, child care costs and that is almost a byproduct of the success that our workforce development has not kept pace with the growth of industry and business. 
do you see that if that child care solutions could at least partially help with that shortage and that impact and make an impact there? Yes, at least partially. It's not the full fix, obviously, but to, just real quickly, I'll say just to, to brag on Indiana for a moment. We, you're right. We have seen a lot of business come to the state of Indiana. There's a handful of reasons for that that I can get into if we if we get to that space, but. Uh, there, you know, we had record investment in, in Indiana back in 2017, capital investment coming into the state that create, you know, good, well-paying jobs. Uh, we broke that record in 2018, broke that record in 19, broke it again in 2021, 20, 22. And in fact, in 21, the record we were very proud of was $8.2 billion. Uh, the record in 22 shattered the 21 record with over $22 billion in investment. And we're probably in 23, that, that, that record is probably broken again, may already be at this point. So we're grateful for all of that um, confidence that people have shown in Indiana, but uh, daycare is a big part of that. And if we don't have the workforce, it will put a ceiling on uh, that, that investment that we'll get. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, years ago, I heard uh, Senator Mishler speak on uh, potentially expanding uh, early childhood education to potentially address some of that need. Is that still on the table? Is that still a concept? You know, it's, it is a concept. It certainly is a conversation that we still have. Um, what, what we want to do, though, is obviously make sure that whatever we do is a, is, a, is a fix and a positive step in the right direction. And while it isn't really um, intuitive, I've read a number of studies over the summer about um, early early child care, early daycare, where you, you, you take it... Take a put a child into school a little earlier than they are today, and in fact, there's a one with three thousand students out of Tennessee that doesn't really show that that has a benefit of them. Uh, doesn't show a benefit for them over the course of their educational career. In fact, oddly, it even showed them doing a little bit worse than kids that didn't get uh, the opportunity for that uh, early entrance into school. But the daycare piece, I mean it. It is something that we have to tackle because it's keeping people out of the workforce without a doubt. And, uh, you know, people are doing the simple calculation of, all right, it's going to cost me X amount of dollars per month to put my children in daycare. And if I'm going to only make a couple hundred dollars more than that through the month going to work, I'm going to stay home because I'm probably the best person to, to watch my kids during the day. Yeah, yeah, especially with the cost analysis made. Yes. And I didn't want it to seem like I th I, that Senator Mishler was in, in, in favor of that. He was actually talking about the cost of expanding it. And so yeah. some of the programs that you guys are looking at for potentially helping ease the cost of daycare have to take that cost to the state in mind. You said you passed a, a pretty big budget last year. Randy, maybe you can jump in here. There is still has to be fiscal responsibility at the government level. And the state of Indiana has done a great job with its fiscal responsibility. And I think that starts in the Senate, doesn't it? Well, I can jump in a little bit here, George. Absolutely. Uh, the, the budget starts in the House and goes to the Senate. Uh, but uh, to piggyback on uh, Senator Bray's last comment about early childhood education, uh, we're, we're grateful that uh, the Senate put in and, and the House adopted and it went into the budget, not more funding, but better access to On My Way Pre-K. Uh, for kids who get a demonstrated objectively great experience that does stick with them uh, that we have in Indiana. And uh, the, the Senate and the House ended up uh, listening and, and doing a really great job uh, of opening that up so that more families are eligible because that's the problem that Senator Bray is talking about. Uh, you can send your child to On My Way Pre-K uh, free of charge if you qualify. Uh, but if the, the threshold is way too low, uh, you get people who say, I can just stay home and the amount of money is going to be about the same. But if we raise that income threshold and allow more families in, uh, we can do a better job with that. And it's, it is something that uh, that we've struggled with uh, as, as 
you know, through from budget to budget to budget. It is workforce development. It's education as well. They're tough issues. And they've done a good job with it, and we appreciate it. Yeah. Well, Senator uh, Bray, moving on, because I know we can talk about any of these topics for an hour, sure. and I know your time is limited here this morning. So moving on to health care costs, that's a national issue, right? That's that's something that every community in our country is grappling with, uh, health care providers are grappling with. I don't think anyone involved, any stakeholder involved in the conversation isn't grappling with it. What do you, where do you see it going here for Hoosiers? Well, we, we spent an inordinate amount of time on the health care cost last legislative session, probably began that work actually back in 2019. And the way we've started to do that work is to try and just try to bring some transparency to the cost and uh, also some economic forces to the cost so that there's competition that helps. Uh, but it's not entirely um, capitalistic as we all understand the healthcare system. It's so complex. But with the idea that, you know, if you go to the grocery store, you can figure out a gallon of milk is going to be $4. But if you go to have um, a knee replacement, trying to figure out what that cost is wildly difficult to do. Your, your physician doesn't know. He or she may be able to tell you that their, their cost, but by the time you get the anesthesiologist, the use of the surgery room, all those sorts of things, it's impossible to do. So back in 2019, we put into place some legislation that would require a good faith estimate of those costs uh, five days before you go in. And uh, so all those things were hopefully a good step in the right direction. We, we went back at those issues in, 2000, in the 2023 session, and we did a few different things. Maybe the most beneficial over time that we'll see is that uh, we, we put into place some recording, or excuse me, some reporting requirements that would allow us to compare apples to apples. Because by the time you consider... Uh, the interplay with insurance and Medicaid and Medicare, it's really difficult to see what um, what those costs are. So that'll help a lot. We also put some restrictions on uh, the ability for non-competes on doctors that I think will be helpful in keeping doctors in the state and in certain regions of the state and uh, some limitations on what hosp- the, 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 whether hospitals can charge higher, pro- higher hospital fees for services done that are not in the, the, the hospital setting. So all those things are, are an effort to try and curb those costs. And I just want to address quickly the need and the reason that we attacked those things because we don't want to be seen as trying to attack hospitals. They provide a really, really valuable service for the state of Indiana. And frankly, the quality of health care in Indiana is, I would say, very good. And we don't want to, we don't want to uh, uh, impact that in a negative way. But if you look, Indiana is a cost of living, a low cost of living state. And nevertheless, we are among the top four to seven most expensive uh, uh, for hospital costs. And it doesn't add up for us, and that's why we've been working on that project. Well, and you talk about some of the things that have been done, and that's correct. And then, you know, philosophically, of course, it's about, you know, everyone wants great care and they want great health care. Yeah. And sometimes that comes at a cost. Recently, I believe Senator Garten led an interim uh, study committee on lowering those costs is there anything that came out of that that you guys are currently considering for fu- for future use? We've got a meeting coming up with Senator Garten to talk about just just that. I don't know. I, I can't tell you as I sit here now that we're going to have legislation in this next legislative session for that purpose um, uh, because I would need to sit down and talk with him to see about exactly what he did find and and what steps that he may think are wise to take from here forward. Uh, Because we worked pretty hard in it in the last legislative session, I have said uh, largely that we don't plan to revisit it. 
because we want to let's take a look to see what we did, see if that has a positive impact before we go in and try and make new changes. So we will probably largely stay out of that space, but I'm not going to tell you that we won't uh, go in to make a, a, a change here or there if it appears that it's necessary. Yet all of it is evidence that the Senate and probably other parts of, of the state government are focused on it. And it is, it is a priority. Yes, which, absolutely. Uh, I'm sure most Hoosiers listening to this will appreciate that that is something that the that their, their uh, leaders are working on. You know, we talked, uh, talking about rising costs, seems like that's all we're doing here, but that seems to be a big part of everyone's reality nowadays with uh, inflationary period that we're experiencing. But let's talk about housing costs. That's, that too is a challenge. What's on the horizon there and what's, what, what do you hope to maybe accomplish in the Senate to address some of that? Well, you know, again, we, we, took, a, we took a step last year. It was actually a House Bill 1005 that dealt with housing costs. And we added some money in the budget. And that uh, those dollars through House Bill 1005 were to help offset some of the costs of infrastructure for housing, water, sewer, roads, sidewalks, things of that nature, so that developers could put in a house, but uh, but maybe use some other money to help build in that infrastructure around it, because that's a, a big part of the big part of the cost. And uh, we're looking at some ideas of things we might be able to work on this year as well. But just to highlight the problem, I was look, talking to somebody recently who was trying to build a house, not a not a not a massive house or a, anything special, just a 1,275 square foot one story home. And uh, uh, with in, in town, so you got water, sewer, sidewalk, and roads all right there. And the cost came in, the estimated cost from the builder came in at $300,000. And so you begin to think if that, um, you know, fairly modest home is costing $300,000, it's hard to get underneath that cost, frankly. And so it just it just highlights the, uh, the challenge that Hoosiers are having right now in trying to find that cost. And obviously isn't helped at all with the, in, the interest rates that we're experiencing now that starting to get up to 8% for a 30-year mortgage. Yeah, and I was actually at a Home Builders Association breakfast this morning and we were talking about other topics, but it quickly became about that build floor cost that is hovering towards $300,000 in most uh, communities here in Indiana and how difficult that that horizon looks uh, for new construction. I know that a lot of problems when they make it to the Senate floor don't have easy solutions or else they may not make it to the Senate floor, right? Anything on the horizon that you think might help with those higher uh, housing costs and anything that the Senate is contemplating or thinking about? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but... Don't have a crystal ball and don't have... I don't have a specific bill I can talk about right now. I know we've got some members working on that idea and also we want to kind of continue to watch and see how that House Bill 1005 helps make a difference in certain communities. I think it already is starting to make a difference because if you don't have that infrastructure to pay... It does help keep those costs down, but uh, certainly we need to continue to work on it. Yeah. You know, with our, our we've got a few minutes remaining here. I, I just wanted to uh, get Randy back in on the conversation. Randy, you transitioned from being a member of the Senate and now you're part of our government affairs team. And talk a little bit about your experience in the Senate and how, you know, what makes Indiana's legislature so successful? Just, you know, a lot of states struggle with such basic things like budgeting and infighting. And you heard Senator Bray say, I loved it, blocking and tackling, right? Is that it? Is it a, is it a commitment to do the, to do the hard work, to do the, the, the day-to-day stuff, to keep the house in order? That's part of it. I'm going to say that's one of three things I could think of off the top of my head. The other two would be the constitutional mandate for a balanced budget. 
uh, and as, as Rod already mentioned, uh, having a part-time legislature. Uh, all those things work together, and there are probably some things that I'm missing. I was in the Senate for 11 years, and, and every year a lot of those bills were, as, as Rod phrased it, blocking and tackling. It was uh, getting the simple things right, taking care of the details of Indiana government, and paying attention to those, uh, because they might not grab headlines, but they're crucial. You have to get the little things right and keep building on them in order to have a successful uh, Indiana state government. Uh, and we used uh, a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and, and life experiences. Uh, it used to be, uh, you think you had to be a lawyer to, to get into politics. Uh, and now, you know, people from every background are in the Indiana General Assembly, in the Senate and in the House. Uh, and we use those life experiences to help build our policies. Uh, and the fact that uh, we're part-time means, we, you know, you have to go home and deal with the decisions that you've made. You have to live in the Indiana that you've helped create. And doing that and, and knowing all the time that we have to spend less than we take in, we have to balance the budget, uh, building up a, an appropriate reserve so if there's a disaster, we can deal with it. Uh, and those things were always paramount. And those things were always told to us every year, this is what how we're going to do this. Uh, so before you, you think you're going to have some wild project where you just go spend billions upon billions of dollars, you need to understand that's not going to work here. Uh, and that kind of attitude, I think regardless of party and regardless of who you are, uh, it has built a culture uh, that, that really serves uh, citizens well. Well, while I agree with you that a diverse legislature is extremely important in governing any oh, 100%, society, 100%. We, the three of us can agree lawyers do it better, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Senator Bray, do, do you share Randy's view on that On that, and, and my view largely that it's the, it's the nuts and bolts, it's the boots and suspenders stuff that keeps Indiana absolutely. a great place to live and work? Yeah, absolutely. As I, I think I said, you know, making policy for the state of Indiana, most of it's not sexy. It's just the blocking and tackling. And, and it's, it, the, you know, most of the work that gets done that really moves the state forward doesn't make a headline. It's about, um, you know, making sure that you, you, you set a table where people can uh, feel comfortable taking a risk because they know that uh, the state government's gone, not going to make a right turn without putting their turn signal on and kind of letting people know. And so that's a, that's a big part of it. The other thing I'll talk about that, uh, that uh, former Senator Head didn't mention, but I know he values it too, is you know, the atmosphere that we have in the chamber of the Senate. You know, right now, if people kind of engage with government and they look at uh, uh, paper or read the news online, however it is they get their news, the, the first thing they see is the acrimony that's out there, Right. And uh, 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 there's a statistic I, that I watch very closely and I value it, actually. And it is the, uh, in, in, any, in any given legislative year, we pass about 225 bills. They're not new ideas. They're not brand new laws. They're changing things, bringing technology, uh, you know, into play for trying to advance something, whatever the case may be. But of the bills that pass, more than 60% of those are unanimous, with every person in the chamber voting yes. And uh, more than 90%, closer to 95% actually, are bipartisan with some Republicans and some Democrats voting for the bill. And that leaves a number of bills you can count basically on two hands that, are, that, that cut down party aisles. And those are things that aren't going to, issues that aren't going to surprise you, Second Amendment, for instance. But, but uh, most of the work, over 90% of the work we do is done in a bipartisan way. And that's, there's really two reasons for that. One is that the Democrats come to the table, minority party comes to the table, planning to add value. And uh, uh, from at least from my perspective, and it'll always be this way while I'm pro Tim, is that we want them at the table in that conversation adding value because it makes those makes our legislation better. And so that's a that's an atmosphere that we that we think about and work on all the time, and we're grateful to have it. 
Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I, you know, the funny thing about what you were mentioning as you were talking, I was thinking that it's, it's excellent that our society has become more politically engaged. I've lived through, I'm, you know, I don't want to say my age, but I'm old. And I, uh, you know, I've lived through periods of time where no one's engaged in politics, it seems. And we're in a renaissance period of political engagement on both sides of the aisle. And that's great. It's, it's an amazing society where everyone is engaged in the process. But sometimes we have to skip the theater and get jobs done and our leaders need to be free to do that. So uh, appreciate your commitment to that and everybody in the state house's commitment to that, because I think it shows uh, with our, with our, our business leaders and others uh, have seen the benefit of that bipartisanship and that ability to get things done. So moving on to the last topic, it's one that's personal to me because I do a little bit of it. Uh, we talked a little bit about alternative energy. Craig DeVault has a, uh, a strong practice in alternative energy. Can you tell us, you know, different states are, are in different situations. In, in, um, I know up in Michigan, um, each township governs zoning and planning, so it can get to be a mess. Is there any thoughts that the legislator has on, on addressing it? Are you thinking that the counties are the best places to make the decisions on how to handle those uh, developments, which sometimes can be controversial because they largely are uh, taking away some of our ag land inventory, which is you know, really a big part of Hoosier culture. Uh, it's a big part of Hoosier culture, and it is a controversial topic without a doubt. Just to kind of set the table, I remember reading now, you'll know this more about this than I do, I suspect, but uh, as, as far as land or projects that were in development for uh, clean energy, that being wind and solar, I think Indiana ranked fourth among the 50 nations that, uh, in projects that were coming to the state of Indiana. So I felt encouraged by that. We obviously, it's, as we look at energy policy, we want to make sure of a few things, that it's, that it's uh, sustainable and uh, that it's affordable and that it's reliable. And I tell people all the time, I said, you know, reliability is maybe the, people look at reliability as the third most important of those until you don't have reliability. Then it jumps to the top really quickly. So that's all, that's all really important. But when it comes to clean energy, we're seeing um, uh, some county, various counties do it very differently. You mentioned in Michigan that townships do a lot of planning and zoning. That is primarily done among the counties here in the state of Indiana. And uh, you'll see uh, some counties that are embracing clean, uh, clean energy sources with solar and wind. And uh, Benton County, for instance, maybe White County up in northern Indiana. And, uh, and, then, uh, uh, and solar as well in various counties across the state. But you also have some that have decided that's not what they want. It's, uh, it's not the policy they want. We have tried over a couple of sessions to, to kind of engage in that. And, uh, you know, we largely look at home rule as a priority, so let counties make those decisions. And when we tried to engage in that on some level, we actually got quite a bit of pushback from local counties to say, let us make those decisions. And so that's where we are right now. And so long as, this is from my perspective only, frankly, it's not a, necessarily a formal policy of the Senate, but from my perspective, as long as we see that there is investment happening and the ability to invest in the counties where it is wanted and with landowners who want it, then uh, we're happy to watch that happen and perhaps we don't have to engage in that. And that seems to be happening right now on some level, again, in some counties. Other counties feel very differently about it. Yeah, I tend to agree and I think you're right. Home rule is so important. It allows each community to retain its own character and express its own values. So appreciate you speaking on it. Appreciate you taking the time today. I know you've got a busy day, so I'm going to let you go. Senator Bray, thank you for being with us. 
Former Senator Head, thank you for being with us. I'll see you at the water cooler. And uh, gentlemen, it's been very fun talking with you both. Thank you, Senator Bray. Yep, thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Krieg DeVault podcast series, brought to you by Krieg DeVault, a leading business-focused law firm. Stay connected by subscribing to our podcast on your preferred platform, ensuring you're always in the loop for upcoming episodes. Anywhere across the nation, Krieg DeVault is your trusted law firm for providing practical legal advice that takes in the big picture without losing sight of the details. Learn more at KriegDevault.com.